Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. The second Samuel chapter 24 tonight. Tonight, I want to let you know that you say, well, we skipped a couple of chapters. Absolutely, we sure did. Because tonight, I want to let you know that we're not actually going in the order that it was written. We need to do chronological a little bit. Because if you'll notice, the previous chapters before 24, it actually gives you David's final words. And when you read this, the prophet Gad or the prophet Nathan, when he wrote this, it gives a, an overview of David's mighty men and David's final words. And we also see that in verse chapter 22, we will be covering these. In chapter 22, David sings a song of deliverance. I want to let you know that we will be covering these, especially chapter 22, but I want to go chronological in a chronological order because something takes place in the life of David in chapter 24 that we cannot pass over, that we have to examine. Now tonight, instead of just staying in chapter 24, I want to go go and jump over in the first chronicles. Tonight, if you would, turn to first chronicles. I, I actually had you open the second Samuel 24 so you can compare first Chronicles chapter 21. I want you to compare the two because it's the same account. Now I want to let you know that there are some things that are different from the two chapters but we will examine them tonight and I'm going to encourage you to know that that whenever you see some differences in the Bible, for example in the Gospels there are differences that we see in the Gospels that there are different perspectives that are written and a lot of times you might say well they're contradictions well if you were here a couple of weeks ago I said something and my wife pointed it out later because she's heard me preach for the last 20 years she said that she, she could finish the thought because I always finish the thought usually but I didn't that day when I made the comment that there are a lot of mistakes in the Bible well I didn't finish the comment because sometimes when I'm preaching I'm three or four thoughts ahead and sometimes my mouth don't catch up with what I'm thinking that means I, my mouth runs faster than I'm thinking mostly but I want to let you know that the mistakes that are found in the Bible are not mistakes for facts. They're not mistakes that are translation mistakes. The mistakes that I'm mentioning in the Bible are mistakes like Noah getting drunk, or the mistakes where David committed adultery. Well, the mistakes are like where people who lack faith, like Peter, who denied Christ three times. Those are the mistakes that I'm talking about in the Bible. So in your life, you might have committed grievous mistakes, or in other words, sins before a holy God. But then again, ain't that good that God is a God of grace. Amen. As you reach for your Bible, I want to remind you that it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We believe in the five solas. Sola Scriptura. Sola Fide. Sola Christus. Sola Gracia. Sola Deo Gloria. Sola Christus is Christ alone. Sola Fide is faith alone. Sola Scriptura. Torah is the Bible alone. Sola Gracia is grace alone. Sola Deo Gloria is the Bible alone. And I want to let you know that it's something that will, that will befuddle you and blow your mind is to know that the man who wrote Psalms 23 and Psalms 51 was a murderer and an adulterer. He dealt with pride and arrogance. Oh, what are you saying? Well, I know that we are people who are flawed and full of sin. But if God saves sinners, because that's all there is, that should encourage you. 
For David wrote Psalms 23. Though I walk through the shadow, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David wrote that. He was a murderer and an adulterer. He was also someone who was arrogant. You might say, I don't know about that arrogance. Well, we'll see that in chapter 21 as we examine it. He was also someone who dealt with pride. So he had the lust of the flesh that he dealt with and also the pride of life. We'll see that here in chapter 21 in 1 Chronicles 21. I do hope you have a copy of God's Holy Word. And if we go ahead and we study this, I want to let you know that God used flawed people because that's all there is. As you heard me explain to you about the mistakes in the Bible, I want to remind you what's said in Romans chapter 7, 22 and 23. When Paul is writing, he says, I delight in the law of the Lord after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is in my members. In chapter 7 of Romans, Paul was telling us he's struggling with the flesh. Paul being an apostle. If Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is struggling with his flesh, you will struggle as well. You will always be dealing with sin. I want to let you know that uh, sin is like a broken, broken rebellion that has been broken by the strong hand of God. But imagine in a, a territory where the rebellion still has pockets in that territory that rise up against the dominion and the sovereignty of God. That's what sin is in our members that we're drawn by, we're drawn away by anger, lust, and bitterness and unforgiveness. We have to deal with those things and we will have to do that as long as we live. That's why he says they are warring in him. I want to let you know that whenever God pours out his discipline on someone he's not pouring out his wrath on them. He's simply disciplining them. When you are a Christian God will discipline you and he will do great lengths to pour out his wrath or pour out his wrath on Christ but pour out his discipline on you to work out that sin that's dominant in your life. And we'll see that here in chapter 21, 1 Chronicles. Let's read. Then Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now, if you will look back, you can, you can jump back and forth, but you'll notice in the other chapter that it was God who was angry with David. He was angry with Israel. But here it says that Satan stood up. Now, we, we have to be careful on how we read the Bible because sometimes if we, we, cause you know we teach here at the river and the Bible mainly teaches that God is sovereign, that He reigns over everything. And if we're not careful about that, if we think, we think too deeply, we'll think wrongly that if God is in control of everything, that means that God could be considered the author of sin. What do you mean, preacher? Well, that means that you would think in the beginning that when God created the heavens and the earth, He put Adam and Eve there in the garden, that He caused Adam or Eve to sin because He is in control of everything. Well, we have examined that quite the, quite much in the last six years, and we'll continue to do that for the next 50 as long, as long as God allows me to stand in this pulpit and examine that we have free moral agency and God is sovereign. They work together. You ask me how, I don't know. But I do know that God is sovereign and man, a man is accountable before God, even though God knows the end for the beginning. And we see here that Satan stood up against Israel. Most theologians and commentaries say, if you remember, whenever we talked about when David knew about the sin of the land, the sin of the nation, when the Gibeonites were those who were, who were killed for their land by Saul, that there was a famine in the land. 
For three years there was a famine in the land. And this took place soon after that took place. So we're seeing back-to-back famines taking place here in the book of 1 Chronicles and also uh, 2 Samuel 24. And now... The, the devil has stood up against Israel and incited David. Now, uh, we have always studied here at the river that God is God over all of creation and the devil is a created being. The devil is God's devil. And he keeps him on a leash. He only goes as far as God allows it. Amen. That we can read that from the book of Job because whenever the book of Job starts out that the sons of God or the sons of angels and the principalities come before God and God considers, He tells, he tells the devil, have you considered my servant Job? That means God brought up Job. God brought them to hedge around him. God allowed the devil to attack any and everything about him, however not taking his life. So God is in full control of all of creation. And we see here that the devil stood up because God God allows it. He incited David to number Israel. In verse number 2, So David said to Joab and the commanding commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan to bring me a report that I may know their number. Now in verse number 2 you say, So what? Big deal. David is now bringing forth a census. He wants to know how many people are in the nation of Israel. Now at this point, David is now coming out of three years of famine. And now he's actually in a position where his throne is secure because now the Gibeonites, the land has been settled and God is going to bless the people. However, the thing is, you can do something for God, but not really. The intentions of the heart are open before God. That means you could tithe and you make a show about it and you walk up and let everybody, this is what I'm tithing. Or you might start this program or that program and receive the glory for yourself. You might have the intentions to, to, for everybody to know that you're a godly person and you're doing this thing for God, but selfish reasons in your heart. What I'm saying here is that David, there's nothing wrong with taking a census of the people, but David had wrong intentions about it. For David was lowly. He was, on the, he was out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. Just a few flocks. A few sheep. But now he's taking a census of the people of Israel to boast. Boast before the world to say, I am the king, the king of all of Israel. And this is the, the census. This is the, how many people who are now are reigning over. Now you will see here, you might look and say, mm, David, I can't believe you do that. But David, David of all people, I can't believe you getting that big headed. David, don't you remember that you were just a boy standing before Goliath and God guided the rock into the forehead of the giant who fell and you slew him with his own sword. David, that was not your skill but the hand of God that did that. David, did you forget? But before we're too hard on David, let us remember we're prone to the same, same sins. That we walk through our homes that God has blessed us with, much like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter number 4 of Daniel, and say, I did all this. I got me here. I did all this by the, by the sweat of my brow and the strength in my bones. I got me here. I ran after my ambitions and my goals. I'm the one who went and did this, forgetting that God reigns over it all. Amen, preacher. I know. Amen. But we see here that David now wants to number the people of Israel. And I want to let you know that God loves His people much too much to leave them to themselves. Amen, preacher. Uh, we, we say amen to that, but we don't like it when God disciplines us. 
We, we, yeah, we, it, they'll shout you in a prayer. All right, preach it. Mm-hmm. And you'll nod your head and you'll smile. Yeah, I agree with that. But you don't like it when God strikes you down in your health because you were getting too haughty, believing that you don't need God. Or He takes some wealth from you. Or He puts you in your place, reminding you that your arms are too short to box with a mighty God. Ooh, preacher, you preach it. I know, Peter. I know I'm preaching hard. We see here, he says, Go and number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan. Bathsheba being the, the Dan being the most northern, and Bathsheba being the most southern. And bring me a report that I may know their number. What happened to the man who, who said, In the shadow of the Most High I shall abide in the shadow of the Most High of the Almighty. I, I, will, I will hide in his shadow. We're, now all of a sudden he's counting his soldiers. He's counting his money in the bank. He, he's counting his uh, accolades and his trophies. and He's getting full of himself. I'm not, I'm not going to be too hard on David because I, I need grace just like David does. Let's be honest. Whatever, you might have good intentions, but you might have good actions, but your intentions might be a little slighted. Maybe you're hoarding things because you don't trust God. Maybe you're buying bullets, band-aids, and beans, and you're hiding them under your bed. There's nothing wrong with buying a, a whole pallet of beans. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's buying it out of fear, because you don't think God is going to handle everything. Now I'm saying that you can be concerned about things, yes. But having faith in God. There's nothing wrong with collecting guns. Buy as many guns as you can and you want to. I'm all about those kind of rights. Go and flex your rights and buy whatever you want to have ultimate freedom. You can buy cannons, whatever tanks. But if you're buying it out of fear, then God has every right to snatch you and wake you up and let you know that He is God. That's where you find your hope. Even the Bible tells us, let us not trust in horses and chariots. Let us not believe that our borders are secure because we have great borders and we have a strong leadership in our community or even in our White House. But we trust solely and absolutely in God. Yes, you can be concerned, but don't let the concern be turning into anxiety and fear, believing that the situation is bigger than a mighty God. David here had, on the outside, looked pretty good. It's a good idea. Why don't we find out how many soldiers we got? But David was going to lean into that instead of trusting in God and His power. Mm. Verse number 3, but Joab, even Joab knew what was going on. And we've studied Joab. Joab was a murderer. Joab was not a believer in the mighty God of Israel. For we read of Psalms where David repented before God. He said, I have sinned before you. Send the joy of salvation to my bones. Once again, we find in Psalm 51. But we don't read anywhere or have any inclination that Joab had any sympathy for the families he ruined or the people he killed in cold blood. None whatsoever. But Joab even sees this in verse 3. But Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord, the King, all of them, my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a case of guilt for Israel? Even Joab, not a follower of the Lord of Scripture, knew that David should be leaning on the everlasting arms. Amen. The song, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. That David should be trusting in God. Joab knew he's actually calling on the, the, the king not to do this. To not count heads. Just to be faithful for what God has brought him. 
But verse number 4, But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went through all of Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of numbering of people to David. All of Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. But in verse 6, he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the number, for the king's command was a whore to to Joab. Joab didn't even finish counting. And and I want to let you know that that, that Joab, there's a big difference between 1 Chronicles 21 and also found in 2 Samuel 24. The numbers are totally different. And there's a reason being that the numbers are totally different because many theologians and commentaries say there were two counts. There was twice the counts because actually Joab didn't finish counting. And we'll read in, uh, it's actually Second Chronicles that whenever Joab counted, he, he didn't finish because he was regretting. He was regretting that, that, that the situation was wicked in his eyes. I'm looking for the text here. Oh, yes, in First Chronicles 27, 24, if you're taking notes right, that down. And First Chronicles 27-24, Joab the son of Zurich began to count, but did not finish. Yet the wrath came upon Israel for this, and the number was not entered into the Chronicles of David. So whenever you read, you see that the numbers do not even include Benjamin, and they do not include Levi. For the king's command was an ahor, uh, abor, uh, is a, a horror to Joab in First Chronicles 21-5-6. So what's getting ready to take place that David was there in Jerusalem and Joab was coming back to Jerusalem and something happens before Joab even gets finished counting the people. What is it you might say? I know you're on the edge of your seat. You want to know what's taking place here. Well, you should have already read it, but it's okay. We're going to unpack it together. He, he, he numbers the people, but in verse 7, but God was displeased with this thing and He struck Israel. I want to let you know that we're getting ready to see something and, and we're, going to, we're going to really get deeper in a moment. If we hadn't already, you think, we're going to get deeper? Yes. Deep preaching calls for deep theology and deep living and deep doxology. Doxology is worship. When you have an understanding of who Jesus is and God and His might, when you understand the Holy Trinity, when you understand the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it causes you to worship deeply. I want to let you know that when the thief was on the cross, he didn't didn't understand the Trinity. He didn't understand who David and Joab was. He didn't understand all the details. All he knew that when he was on the cross, Jesus looked at him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. That means that he was saved in that moment. However, I will let you know if that man who was on that cross was able to come off the cross and live his days, he will want to know everything about the God who saved him. He will want to know the details. He would dig deep into theology and the facts and be caught up because the Bible tells us that faith come by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Your faith needs to be boosted tonight and be encouraged. You need to know how big God is, what He is like, what He expects of me as a person living now in our time, in our culture. How does He want me to live out my days? How am I supposed to walk in fear and trembling, working out my fear with my faith before Him, living out my days? That's why we look here at the details. That God is not okay with our pride. He's not okay with our arrogance. He's not okay with our lusts. 
He's not okay with our fornication and adultery. He's not alright with those things. Jesus died on the cross for those things. So Christian, if you find yourself in grievous sin, Jesus has died for your sin, but God will discipline you. Uh, Let me explain. The wrath was poured out on Jesus. But if you find yourself in gross sin, like David, he was in gross sin. There was a time there when he had the affair with Bathsheba and the husband was killed at the order of David by Joab pulling by the army. And for how many months? I don't know, maybe two years, the baby grew in the womb of Bathsheba. The baby was born. And David was silent before God, and God was silent before David, so he would have time to repent until God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David in his sin. He said, you are the man. So that lets me know that you can belong to Jesus and get caught up in something. Get caught up in sin. You can get messed up and God will send the man of God to correct you and point you to the Scriptures and point you to repentance. Thanks be to God that He just not does not just give up on us when we fail. Otherwise, the building would be empty and I'll be preaching to nobody. In fact, there won't be nobody preaching. It's only by grace and grace alone. I got some amens. That's good enough. We'll go with that. But we see that God was displeased. Did you know you can displease God? I I know that God is immutable. Immutable being a fancy word. That means He don't change. But He can be displeased. He can be grieved. He can be angry. Well, how, how do you explain that? If he don't change, how can he be that? Well, let's break it down. Let's read this. Because if you're looking at King James or the ESV tonight, there's a word that we're going to look at called repent or relent. We're going to look at that word and we're going to bring it down to a level where we can understand if God don't change, how can he repent? What does that mean? Repent means to change. To have, have a, a different thought or a different process. Well, I'm glad you asked. But look at verse number 7. But God was displeased with this thing. And he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly and that I have done this thing. Now please take away the iniquity of your servant for I have acted very foolishly. God strikes Israel yet again. We have just come out of a famine. David gets cocky and gets a little prideful and he pulls out a census and counts the heads of the army. Now, if you're going to count the army, you're obviously going to take some military movements. Maybe David had plans to go into the borders or even to expand his country. That's the worst thing that David possibly can do. He's moving without God telling him to move. Oh, wait a minute. Are you saying we can get ahead of God? No, many times we, we get prosperous and we forget God. We, can, we become big boys and big girls. We can do it all by myself. That's how my kids used to talk. I do it by myself. You, you're putting on your pants backwards, but okay. Your shoes are on their own feet, but okay. Yeah, you're doing all that, but you can do it by yourself. Oh, you can, you can work on the car, but the tires just fell off. You ain't, you ain't changing the alternator. Something's wrong. You're in a whole different area. You can do it by yourself. That's, we get big and grown sometimes, and God reminds us that He's the Father. He is the one who's in charge. David was planning a conquest. He was planning war. And God didn't tell him to go to war. How many times have we done that? I love the quote that Tracy told me whenever we first came here to the river. He said, many of my faults and afflictions have been self-inflicted. That I did it to me. It was me. I made the mistakes. I did it without even talking to God. We've seen in the book of Judges, whenever they were there, and they were no, it was the book of Exodus, that they were there and... 
They were conquering the land in the book of Joshua. I'll get to it. And Joshua, he was conquering the land and the Gibeonites come to him and say, hey, well, well, why don't you make a treaty with us? The people did not inquire of what God wanted for them to do. And they made a quick covenant. And it goes on throughout history to cause a ripple effect that we're still reading about in First and Second Samuel. Whenever we don't inquire of God, God, should I do this? Should I do that? Can I do this? But I want to let you know, if you find yourself going and moving and shaking and jigging and doing whatever you, you do without inquiring of God, dating that person, going here, catching up in this situation, doing this without inquiring of the Lord, He, he takes into account your stupidity. Amen. He considers that, hey, that one's not headed, but he's, it's all under grace. When He saves you and redeems you and keeps you, He considers your IQ level and your stupidity and your, your gullibleness. Thanks be to God that it there's not a litmus test that you have to have this much credit or you must have this much status or you must be a flawless person to have a reputation that he died for sinners because we talk about it here all the time. He died for sinners because that's all there is. Thanks be to God. Let that resonate that we are all on level ground before God. Even David did stupid stuff. Thanks be to God for his grace and his mercy that he bestows on us. It's new every morning Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23. That in His mercies we are not consumed every day because they're new every morning. Oh, that's good. Amen. Look at somebody say, that's good. That's good, Peter. Tracy, you ain't got nobody to say it to. That's alright. We'll keep going. He says that God was displeased in this thing. And I've sinned greatly. David now, now is receiving the correction of God. Notice the, the pain had to come before he realized that he'd done wrong. David could have kept on going, counting heads, and God never moved, and he would have stayed in his sin. The pride would have grew. That's the thing about God. He always disciplines his own. Who, who can testify here today that God disciplines you? That you just can't act a fool and do what you want. That God is invested in you. You just can't do that. You can't go there. You can't live that way. That your conscience will bear witness against you, let alone the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I want to let you know that uh, that he chastises, he chastises to reclaim, not to get revenge. When we sin, he corrects us, not to get revenge on us, but to reclaim us. Oh, that's good, preacher. Could you say that again? I sure will, Miss Grady. He corrects us, not to get revenge on us but to reclaim us, to bring us home. Glory, that's good, ain't it? Ain't that good? Yes, it is. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son He receives in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. That means He disciplines the people He loves. In Psalms 94, 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. David wrote that in Psalms 94, 12. He says, Blessed is the one you discipline. And in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon wrote, For the man, for the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. I love my children, but they can't act like all the other children. They're not going to do that. They're going to adhere to my command or they're going to be grown enough to get out and do their own thing. Until then, they're going to adhere to what Daddy says. That's what our Father in Heaven does. That we are not autonomous to Him. We're not 
self-sufficient. We're not almighty and all-powerful. That's the worst thing that could happen to us. We, you heard the old cliche, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The worst thing that can happen to people is they get that promotion. They get, uh, uh, they get a bigger house or a bigger car and they forget the people around them, the people who are their friends and co-laborers and their people in their community. God has put you exactly where you are and where you need to be. He has put you in every position that you are to keep you in His graces and His mercy. But many times it's like we pray to come out of His grace. Lord, give me that. Give me. Are you saying that I can't aspire to bigger, better things? That's, you can pray for those things, but ask God. God, to prepare your heart to handle those things. Ask God to be with you wherever He placed you. And in that situation, to have the graces and the mercies to stay in His will, to honor Him, and guard your heart and your mind to bring glory to His name. Well, we don't lean into our own understanding. Preacher, you preaching? Yes, I am. We see that... He says, I have acted foolishly. In verse 9, and the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. In verse 9, we see that David had a seer, not a seeing eye dog. A seer is one who is a prophet, preacher, teacher. Someone who is a spiritual elder. Someone to come along, David. Even though David had the highest office in all the land, he had a pastor. He had a pastor. He had someone who come, hey man, what you doing? You, you've been missing a lot of church. You've been reading your Bible? Hey, man, you can't talk to your wife like that. Man, you can't go there. You can't, you can't be over there honky-tonking and doing that. You, can't, you shouldn't be reading those things. They're not good for your spirit and your heart. You, you shouldn't be doing those. That's what David had, a faithful pastor. But the Lord sent him to David. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, and I may do it to you. I remind you as we read this list that God is not taking revenge on David. He's doing this to keep David and reclaim David. If he don't correct David, what's going to happen to David? He's going to be self-destructive. He's going to ruin himself as well as the nation. Well, whenever we read about even in our culture, what's going on in our nation? Whether it's famine, floods, earthquakes, economic unrest, civil unrest. God is not just putting us in a snow globe and shaking the snow globe or putting us uh, like pouring water on a, a, a nest of ants just to see the ants, the ants scramble. Our God is trying to reclaim His people, to guide them, to teach them that He is God. And we should repent of our sins like it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. That we, we, we repent of our sins, crying to Him. He'll hear our prayers and hear our, heal our land. We said here in David, so David comes and he hears this list from Gad. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose what you will. Either three years of famine... Or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you. Or three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what an answer I shall return to him who sent me. Notice that Gad was sent by God. That I am your preacher. I am your prophet. I am the oracle of God. But I don't have visions where God is speaking to you, speaking to me 
to tell you what I have is a script. And it's right here in our hands. Sola Scriptura. I'm telling you what God so saith the Lord. And we're looking at it together. We walk hand in hand, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, to make you better, not to harm you. Notice we do the Old Testament on Wednesdays. The New Testament on Sundays and Sunday nights. Because they go together. Some preachers say we must unhitch from the Old Testament. But it's the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. Amen, somebody. So we see here that Gad gives David three opportunities. If you look back in Second Samuel, you don't have to turn there. He actually says seven years of famine. Well, I want to let you know that there's not a discrepancy there. That remember, I told you they just came out of three years and three more years, and you add some numbers in there. I know you're saying, well, you're being fuzzy, fuzzy math. I know it's like COVID math, okay? But it's going to add up to be seven. Those numbers. I'm not a. Th- I've never wondered. I always wonder why these numbers match. But until some deeper study, uh, you come to find out that, that there's other things that will look like they flip flop through the chapters. But I want to let you know that he's saying here either a famine, they'll be turned over to your enemies, or I'll go through with a plague for a couple of days. And then David said to Gad in verse 13, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. In verse number three, we see, 13, we see that David says, Let me fall into God's hands because I've been in the hand of men. And He will give me mercy, but men will not. It's good that we seek out a mercy from the one that we know who gives mercy. So David turns to God. And we see that, we see in 14, so the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men fell. Commentaries say that it ran from the east and west and it came in from the north and the south and it came into Israel, going from the edges of Israel, this plague that would last three days. It would come in from the outside and spread to Jerusalem that is in the middle of the nation. So in 14, the Lord sent pestilence in all of Israel and God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. I want you to see there that God sent the angel to Jerusalem. That is the last place. Jerusalem being the center of the nation. David is there. And at this point, David is on the same level as everybody else. That God could take him in the pestilence as well as everybody in the king's court. He is on equal ground with the plowboy who is working the fields as the king. That the pestilence could kill each and everybody. I want to let you know that David writes about this in Psalm chapter 30. He talks about how God hid His face from him. How he he struggled and he was glad when the Lord showed grace upon him. You can read that in your free time. It will hit a little different now that you know the story behind it. And David there being in Jerusalem. And God sends the angel to destroy Jerusalem. And the Lord saw and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It is enough, stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. I want you to see in verse 15, if you're looking at King James or an ESV, there's the word relent in the ESV or repent. Now, we have studied here what relent 
Well, we study what repent here quite often at the river. Repentance is if you change your direction, have a change in thought, and you do not do those things anymore because there's been a change in you. And if you read the King James, which is not a strong translation of the word, relent is a better word, which is the ESV. But I want to let you know, the reason the word repent there is because the Bible is written on a level that humanity could understand. It's written on a word, it's written on a level Level that we could understand an anthropophyic level that means humanity level for an example we need to remember that God is spirit which is found in 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 the Lord is the spirit and the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom we understand that God is spirit now I'm going to say something that's not very controversial but I want you to really think deep about this that God literally does not God the Father, who is spirit, literally does not have a hand with five digits on it. He literally does not have an eye. He literally does not have a foot. I want to let you know that God is a spirit. And the reason it's written that He can scoop the oceans in the palm of His hand in Isaiah 41, or His eye is on His people, or the reason His hand is on a situation is to brought down to a, a human level so we can understand. An example would be when we speak to our children, whether it's in Sunday school or we're training them about the ways of the Bible, we put them on levels that they could understand. So this should let you understand that God is high above anything we could fathom or imagine. What we do know about God is He's three in one. Now we can't even wrap our minds around that, but He's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now we know that the earth is His footstool, but He don't wear shoes, He's Spirit. So when we see the word repent here, it's to help us understand because we know what a hand is. Oh, I got a hand. I got a foot. So that helps me understand what God is like. If you say God is like Coca-Cola, He's the real thing, you missed it. You put Him way down low. That's bringing a mighty and holy God that blows your mind down to a, a low level. What I'm telling you here is when we understand that He has an eye, we understand that our God sees us. That He has a hand, a strong right hand, a man of war. We understand a strong arm or a right hand. We understand a foot because we're humans. But when we see the word repent here, it helps us understand what happened. God does not change. He's immutable. But we see that the the intended divine wrath was changed at that moment. He was intending to do that, but He just relented. So we can wrap our minds around that. That He stayed His hand. That the angels stopped there in Jerusalem. We've seen in the previous chapters of 1 Samuel that God repented that He made Saul a king. Repented? Well, God don't change. That means change your mind. No, He relented. He, he says, I'm not doing that anymore. God has a prerogative. He has a decision. He's in control. He decides. But I understand repent. And that's why it's written in such a way. That's why we have coloring books for our children to understand the big facts of the world. This Bible is written in a way that we can understand that God relented at this moment, at this certain place in Jerusalem. Oh, it goes on greater than that. Well, we must remember that God also regrets in 1 Samuel 15, 29, and the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. He is not a man 
that he should have regret that God don't... I'm sorry, I misspoke. He does not regret. In Numbers chapter 23, 19, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. For He said, He will not do it. Has He not spoken? Will He not f- fulfill it? And once again, revisiting 2 Corinthians three seventeen, The Lord is Spirit. In the, the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. We understand that God is a God of Spirit and He speaks to us on a level that we can understand. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord of glory bends over to speak to us in a language we could understand? For He didn't have to. He could have treated us like cockroaches and put His foot on us and crushed us. But He shows mercy towards those that He loves. That makes Him glorious and grand. But here he relented, he stayed the hand. He commanded the angel not to, not to destroy Israel. And we see in 16, And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And his hand was drawn and his sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. You'll see in verse 16 that David had a heart of repentance. That David saw the wrath of God on him and his people. They're standing there in sackcloth. That is an outward sign that they wore uncomfortable clothes that were prickly to their flesh. That's why we have a sin, uh, we have analogies today that we wear sackcloth with ashes. That's the old way where they show an outward repentance of mourning for their sins. But we still do that today with our manner and the way we speak and the way we carry ourselves, our prayers, our, our, our alms before a holy God. Here I am, God, forgive me, watch me, have mercy upon me. That's what David's doing here. And he sees the angel there and he understands that God has stayed the angel to not destroy Jerusalem. And David said to God, was it not I who gave the command to number the people? Is it not I who have sinned and grave and done great evil? But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O God, my God, be against me and against my father's house. But do not let the play be on the people. Now, I want to let you know that David says, put the fault, the guilt on me. And you know what? God does. God puts the fault and the guilt on David. However, he deferred it. And I, that's a word I learned a couple of years ago where we were behind on some kind of payment. It was something that was important. And we talked to the people and they said, well, you can defer it. What that means is they take the payment and they push it. That way you won't be behind. Or it, It's not that it goes away. It's just pushed. What has took place here that David says, I'm guilty. God deferred the guilt. But where does he drop the guilt? It's David's fault. David was the prideful one. David was the adulterous one. We've already read about that. David was the one who orchestrated a murder. Where did he put the guilt? Well, he puts it all a couple of years later on Jesus Christ. All the sins of those in the Old Testament were placed on Christ. Those who trusted God were only saved as they trusted in a coming Savior. And now we look back and the sins that we've committed have been placed on Jesus. And we go forward past the cross. And it's only by Jesus and His sacrificial atonement that we walk free before a holy God. And we are forgiven. The same faith that David had, we exercise before a holy God. Oh, that's, that's glorious. And that's wonderful. So we see in verse 18, Now the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, And David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord at the threshing floor of Omen the Jebusite. So David went up to Gad at Gad's word, and he spoke his name in the Lord. Now Omen was threshing wheat, and he turned and saw the angel with his four sons and who were with him and hid themselves. As David came to Oren, Oren looked and saw David and went out 
from the threshing floor and paid homage to David and fell to the ground. And David said to Oren, Give me the side of the threshing floor that I may build an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Oren said to David, Take it and let my Lord the king do whatever seems good to him. See, I have the oxen for a burnt offering and the threshing sledges of wood for the wheat grain of the offering. I give it all. Oren wants to give everything to David. I've got everything here you need, David. Just take it and do an offering here that God will stop. Stop all this. He's going to give it freely to David. But David answers here. He says in verse 24, But the king said to Oren, No, I will not buy for them. I will buy them for full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor the burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Uh, I could preach on this all day. I really could, and I don't have the time. i got one minute, and I want to finish this section. But I want to let you know that when you sacrifice unto the Lord, whenever it's a sacrifice of worship, that it costs you something. It should inconvenience you. It should cost you your time. It should cost you your talents. It should cost you strength, money. It should cost you something. If your worship or what you're doing for God is not costing you something, you're not really worshiping. That's what David says here. I'm not just taking something you gave to me freely and offering it to God. It has to be a sacrifice from me. What is it that you're sacrificing to a holy God? What is it? I don't know what it is. I got my own sacrifices and it's costing me. And I hope it costs me more and more. That's the truth. I hope it costs me my carnality, my pride, and my anger. I hope it costs me spiritual, spiritual wealth. I hope it costs me earthly wealth. I hope it costs me comforts. I hope it snatches the pride out from it. It should cost you something. Your worship should always be costly. I don't know what's it worth to you. Maybe he's not worth it. Investing something in him. Your time, energy, money. Investing in people. It should cost you something. We always find value in the things we think are valuable. We will invest in those things. If you believe that He's worthy to be praised, there's worth in Him, it will cost you something to worship Him. You'll lose status. You'll lose friends. You'll lose employment. You'll lose property. You'll lose opportunities because you believe He's worth it all. Amen, preacher. So David paid Oren 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. If you take 600 shekels or 60 silver found in 2 Samuel, you'll see that that comes around $400,000 that he paid for this property. I want to let you know that this property was just a plain, please, plain plateau of ground. It was a rock there, maybe some cement around that was a mixture of sand and some other hardening mortar that the oxen would used to to grind the grain but there was nothing special about it it was not arches and beautiful paintings it's just a plain Jane place and David paid a high value for just this plot of land because God told him to invest in that place that means to let me know that God does not need grand arches and He does not need beautiful steeples. That you can have church in a barn, a plain old place. A beautiful as this little beautiful little chapel, our church here at the river is. God shows up here as much as He's shown up in the fellowship hall. But then again, we've had church in all kinds of places and we could and could and should 
Just remember that we don't have faith in the building, the brick and mortar, but in the God of all the hosts of heavens. And he chose this plain Jane place. And David goes there and he builds an altar in verse 26. David built an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called to the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven from under the, uh, upon the altar for the burnt offering. Notice David didn't go to Shiloh or Gilab and go to the tabernacle. And he didn't worship there. He did it there in a plain Jane place. And God answered with a fire from heaven. Whenever God is pleased, He will consume you with the fire. Uh, don't get me started on that. We don't have time, but we can read in Deuteronomy 4, 24, that our God is a consuming fire. That He burns away iniquities and drosses in His people. That He's able to heat them up and pull out the infirmities and impurities as He puts you in the forge to make you into the image of Christ. In verse 27, hang in there, we got three verses, we're almost done. Then the Lord commanded the angel... And he put his sword back in its sheath. And at that time, David saw that the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Oran, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which was with Moses, was in the wilderness. And the burnt offering was there at the time of the high place in Gibeon. But David did not go before to inquire of the God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. I, I want you to see in verse 29 that David feared the Lord. He feared God. Whenever you fear Him, it's not where you tremble because you're afraid of Him like you're afraid of Jack the Ripper or Jason from the horror movies or Freddy Krueger. It's not. It's where you respect Him in such a way that you are reflecting and remembering what Joseph said when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife said, come and lie with me. He said, how can I do this thing before God? That Potiphar would never find out, but God saw it and Joseph knew he could not do that because he respected and highly regarded a mighty God. Whenever we walk in fear and trembling before God and respect Him in such a way, it changes everything. It causes us to sacrifice in such a way and live in such a way to bring glory to His name. But something I want you to understand here, the pestilence is going throughout the land and it stops there at the threshing floor. The place where David makes a sacrifice. The plague is killing people. But it will take place throughout humanity. A plague that will come and wipe out humanity. It's called sin. It will affect every and each and every person. And it will stop at a certain place in history. There at the cross. Where Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And God is pleased with the sacrifice. So run to that threshing floor. Run there where the sword has been poured out and He is going to destroy and consume you and everyone you know and throw yourself on His mercy and say, God, here I am. Will you accept not my sacrifices, not my money, not my time, but what Jesus has done? Will you accept the blood that has been shed on my behalf? Will you forgive me? Will you wash me and set me in right standing before you? Run to the threshing floor. And with that said, I bet you didn't know here in chapter 21 that that very threshing floor where David sacrificed that animal was the place where Solomon will build the temple. Ooh, I didn't know that. But we'll talk more about that next week. Let's bow our heads and pray.